The Pace Line, of course, is a podcast about bikes, but this time we have a van story. So when you say the van left without you, you're not implying that someone climbed into it and was driving off. You're saying that there this is was... no one in the van. Uh, all right. I just. OK. Yeah. Yeah. We've been outside for seven minutes. The van starts rolling away. Fatty's Rockwell Relay and the van that nearly got away. Plus, we picked the absolute best color for a bike. Line the podcast on two wheels. Thanks for sticking us in your ears. So glad you found <laughs> us, downloaded us, you're streaming us, just picked us up in general. We feel special because of it. Uh, it seems the pace line was hit by quite a crosswind over the last a week or so. We had people blown all over the pl- all over the world, for that matter. Folks, you should know this little show we pull off is a, a bit of smoke and mirrors. We sound like we're in the same room. When in fact, we're actually in different time zones. And uh, last week, we were on three different clocks. Let's first check in with uh, Fatty of FatCyclist.com. I just want to say, Fatty, we are lucky, as in uh, Irish luck, to have you with us. (laughs) I was in Ireland last weekend, making it almost impossible for us to have this show. I was there for my day job and super excited to be back in Utah, where my favorite climbs are. Hmm. Any riding in uh, Ireland? I didn't go in, uh, on any rides in Ireland. I'm looking to maybe set something up next time. Yeah. But did you see, was there an active scene there for cycling? There was an incredible commuter scene, which I loved seeing, you know, especially set apart with concrete divider lanes and people on bikes. It's not like the Netherlands, but it is certainly, you know, I would say almost a, I would say probably a 40, 60 mix of bikes to cars and just wow. great to see, you know, rented city bikes everywhere and just, you know, folks, folks ride around. It's, uh, uh, pretty, you know, just really nice. Also really interesting to me was, uh, how many fewer helmets are on the road. It's, you know, people ride as just, you know, part of getting around. It's not like something where they helmet and suit up. To go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now the real Irishman on this podcast, Patrick Brady, and, and <laughs> to embrace his Irish roots, Patrick, you traveled all the way to Park City, Utah. Very well, Irish of you. Somebody needed to be in Utah while Fatty was out of town, so I held down That's the right. fort there. Yeah, and that was a uh, press camp trip, as I uh, yeah, as summer, I gather, summer press camp. Um, uh, some new brands there that haven't been in attendance at the at the event before. And uh, three days of riding, and there was so much going on on the road scene that I spent two of those days on road bikes and not on mountain bikes on the trails of Deer Valley, uh, which that seems I have to weird. Admit, it kind of bummed me out. I mean, the road bikes were great, and I really enjoyed riding them. But uh, you know, it's like, oh, dude, I I I didn't get uh, a single run of full nail driver. Uh, or yeah, tidal man. wave, you know. So it's like, oh, kind of a miss, but lots of great stuff. Park cool. City. Well, we're going to do a uh, yeah. 
<laughs> We're going to do a complete uh, press camp rundown with Patrick coming up in our next segment here on the Pace Line. Uh, I am Michael Houghton, by the way, RKP contributor, Pace Line host, in my regular place, uh, regular time zone. No real huge changes for me. Uh, so when we last left you, Fatty was getting ready for one of his uh, targeted events, the Rockwell Relay. Fatty, yep. I see a multitude of blog posts going up on fatcyclist.com. Pictures, too. Uh, one shot looks like you put on two different socks one day, and uh, another I see what looks like two crashed-out helmets. Uh, but the most concerning pick is what looks like someone in a hospital bed with EKG wires hooked up. Explain <laughs> All of this, please. I will do my best. And let me caveat this by saying this is going to have probably some spoilers for those of us who listen to my, uh, or rather who read my blog. I'm expecting there to be between 10 to 15 posts telling this whole story. And I'm just giving you the highlights reel. So spoilers ahead. So the, the um, I'm going to start with the, the guy hooked up to the EKG. That was actually a photo from years and years ago. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, met back when I did a lot of uh, fundraising for Livestrong. Uh, his name's Jan Bertraud. And he, back in the day, was a pretty heavy guy. Um, and that photo was after doing a Livestrong event. And he was so dehydrated and exhausted, they took him to the hospital. The flip side of that photo is a photo from this year where he is down to, I think, down by 50 pounds and was so incredibly strong that we were working together and he was dropping me from the front. He has just become, he's become a force of nature and incredibly inspiring. Just watching someone go from, um, go from, you know, from where he was, you know, com almost impossible for him at sea level to ride 100 miles without going to the hospital to completely killing me on a climby course, you know, 5,000 feet of climbing in 50 miles at race pace at altitude where he's from sea level. I was just, you know, I was blown away by him. So that's what that was about. The, um, the crashed helmets or the crushed helmets is actually from one of the most terrifying moments in my entire writing life. And this is where the spoilers really come in. So if you read my blog and you haven't got to this point, you may want to go ahead and, you know, set this podcast aside for a week. But um, in one of it, the whole idea behind the Rockwell Relay is you have a team of four and you're going this 520 mile distance from Moab to St. George. Um, and a you have 40 to 50 mile legs and their checkpoints along the way on the fourth leg my wife lisa was doing her ride and so the rest of us were in uh, a sprinter van that we had borrowed from a friend a very nice bike shop wrapped sprinter van mercedes way nicer than i could ever afford anyway so we had gone on ahead had climbed out of the van so the other three members of her team are on a side of the road, pulled out, and we're cheering for her, waving cowbells, handing her a bottle, and she goes by. And my niece, who is one of the members of my team, says, well, let's wait for a minute and see what the split is to, the, to our main competition, another woman on another team. And so we stand there for another couple minutes. So we've been there for about six or seven minutes, and all of a sudden, the van leaves without us. 
just absorb that for a second. This borrowed, I'm going to guess, I, I don't know how much Sprinter vans cost, but if it's a Mercedes Sprinter van, kind of decked out, kind of customized, I'm going to guess $70,000 van. I don't know. It leaves without us. It just starts rolling away. And it is rolling toward a uh, flash flood ditch of about you know a six-foot drop. And then it will crash into concrete where the uh, where water it has been, you know, where it's been designed so that water can run across or under the road through a pipe. Can I can I just ask a quick question here? Yeah. Uh, So when you say the van left without you, you're not implying that someone climbed into it and was driving off. You're saying that there is no one in the van. Uh, All right. I just. okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've been outside for seven minutes. The van starts rolling away. And since I had been the driver, I'm at fault somehow. I don't know how. If I left it in drive, it should have left before then, I would have thought. If I left it in neutral, it should have ridden, gone backwards because this was a slight incline. So somehow (laughs) it went into drive after seven or so minutes, and it's rolling toward this ditch. I run around the driver's side and am trying to get to the car door. My niece, she runs around the passenger side, and I don't know how this inspiration hit her, but the panel door, the sliding door on the passenger side was open. She dove through and, like a ninja, managed to stab the brake with her foot in as the van was starting to tilt into this five-foot drop into the ditch. Now, I I have a photo that shows the rear left wheel is about a foot and a half in the air when she manages to bring this vehicle to a stop. So it is in the process of sliding, you know, down the slope. The, you know, the one of the wheels is actually in the air. It is a quarter of a second away from doing a nose, you know, dropping into a, you know, five or six foot free fall into a concrete ditch. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Amazingly. And we're in a narrow Canyon road. I'm waving down everyone. Everyone who is coming by has, is racers, right? And they don't have stuff for towing cars. Most of them are in rentals as well, or, you know, they're loaded up with bike racing gear, not with stuff to pull a van out. However, and I do not have any idea why or how, but I am so happy it it, it worked out this way. A large truck went by, um, a, a sign uh, construction truck, and it had everything we needed. I waved them down. They had to go on for another quarter mile till they found a place where they could pull out, do a 30-point turn to turn around and come back, during which time my niece is still standing on this break. Her, you know, her, her leg strength on this brake being the only thing that is keeping it from going into a ditch. And, you know, just us, meanwhile, hoping that the truck doesn't just start sliding into it. And they have everything they need as far as tow ropes and hooks and know-how. And they just pull this out. They pull the van out. And in the process, um, because we weren't aware you know, this sliding panel door, some of our stuff had fallen out. 
And so when he pulls us out, we roll over and crush two of the four helmets that we'd brought on this trip. <laughs> so oh, that's where gosh. the crushed helmets come from. Um, I, I should, I said two, two out of the four, but in reality it was two out of the five because I am such a nerd about stuff like this that I had brought an extra helmet for myself so that I could have one for a light setup. Um, you know, so I would just be able to, you know, my lights were already on this helmet and ready to go. So, um, the two men's helmets, the two primary men's helmets had been crushed. And so Ben, the other man on my team and my niece's husband, and I shared a my spare helmet for the rest of the race. Uh, so that anytime we trade, you know, moved, changed legs, you know, his turn for my turn, we had to, in addition to handing over the timing chip, also hand over the helmet, which is kind of gross, but Hey, you, you know, desperate times, desperate measures. Meanwhile, my wife has been out there on her own for 45 minutes or so, right? <laughs> you know, she had gone by. She has no idea what is going on, but it's 104 degrees outside. And, you know, we had sent her off with two bottles, but those are long gone. And she is used to seeing us every five minutes or so, not every 45 minutes or so. And so she is thinking something terrible has gone on. Um, when she sees us, finally, you know, the first thing I yell out is, we'll explain later, but I promise there was a good reason. <laughs> it still took her a little while to not be angry at us, but she did get over it when we explained at the at the next exchange. Um, that was possibly the single most terrifying moment I have ever had on a, you know, in, in a race like this, but in the end, the van got a couple of scratches, but was otherwise fine. And we won the co-ed division for, I think the fifth time. Wow. So there you go. Yeah, because the results are not up. At least I checked this morning for results on the Rockwell Relay. There's nothing up yet. So good. You guys won your your category. We won our category and took third uh, in all of the non-pro uh, teams as well. So um, we had an extremely fast race. My goof up, notwithstanding. Um, I forget, Fatty. Did you say you were going to do this on a TT bike? No, no, that's not allowed. Um, it's a mass oh. start, and you got to use road bikes. No, uh, no aero bars allowed. But I checked some of the videos out, and it looks like there is some drafting going on. Like you can, you can find groups and work with them. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I would say that is probably the best strategy. There is a team that has been working on uh, beating us for I think at least three years. And last year, we, we only edged them by three minutes. And so this year, they came with two co-ed teams and a men's team to essentially support and dra and help them with a draft. Mm -hmm. But And we just came with you know the one co-ed team and a plan to use alliances of opportunity. Whenever we could find another team that we could work with, for a while, we would. They were bound to each other and essentially because, I mean, it, it's great to have a big team when all of you know what you're doing and know each other's strengths and weaknesses. This is just 12 people semi-randomly thrown together. And so at any moment, they always had to go the speed of the slowest of the three people on the road. 
Um, it's, it wasn't a strategy that was really going to serve them well. And we kind of knew that before the race ever began, but you know, obviously didn't tell them that. (laughs) So I, I remember I checked the weather, um, uh, leading into the event and and we're talking about Moab to St. George and an area of Utah that can get very warm. What was the highest? Yeah. What was the highest temperature you saw? We saw 104, I think, and, you know, 104, and it, it stays there for, you know, several hours. The weird thing about that race is the incredible, uh, the incredible extremes. Um, I mean, we go from in the middle of the day out near Lake Powell, uh, 104 degrees, and then in a night leg, uh, looking down at the thermometer and seeing it's 41 degrees. I mean, real right. close to freezing. And so, yeah, you got to bring all your stuff for this race. It is, and that's just part of why this race is my absolute favorite race. You are guaranteed to come away from it with a pretty amazing story to tell. And that's what I love about racing. Um, You do a good job of selling it. Sort of the video, when I checked the videos out this morning, I was like, wow, that does look like a hell of a lot of fun. It is. It is a fun race. Mm-hmm. And you really get to do everything that makes a race fun. I mean, you you are racing, then you are supporting and crewing. You are cheering people on. You are dealing with unexpected circumstances. It is, um, it's incredibly <laughs> dramatic, and it's busy, and it's intense, and it's fun, and it's miserable. I mean, just <laughs> you run the gamut of emotions and excitement and fatigue and adrenaline rushes everything it's all there i mean it's it it takes all of the cool things and bad things and you know great things and big things about racing and condenses it into you know a day and a night and a day and in the end you will have gone 520 miles and seen red rock desert and you will have seen aspen and pine trees and beautiful reservoirs and you will have climbed 30,000 feet as a team um and it's just i mean it feels big and it feels like you've done something so yeah obviously i'm a fan favorite race of the year and throw in a runaway sprinter van and you got yourself (laughs) one heck of an experience and something worth about what 15 blog posts, which is what this will end up being. I figure, yeah, 15 is probably a pretty good guess. <laughs> <laughs> and and how, well, many, very how many good. hours yeah. again? Total, we did total it in, elapsed time? We did it in 28 hours and two minutes, and that made us the third fastest competitive team. A, uh, a men's competitive team beat us, and a 55-plus, uh, or a 50-plus, meaning everyone in the team was 50 years or older, also mm-hmm. beat us, and then we were the third team. So three different categories rep- represented the three first teams across the finish line. We had a good year in terms of making few race-affecting mistakes. I obviously made a huge mistake that nearly <laughs> cost us everything, but we never kept – I mean, we never stopped in t- when that happened. Our racer was still on the road and moving at top speed. So, Yeah. Um, even, even our incredible, you know, near, near catastrophic (laughs) problems didn't uh, slow us down for a second. Well, we're going to keep the scenic beauty thing going because we're going to go to Utah. Patrick takes us on a 
joyride of sorts. New product rolled out at Park City. That's next on the Pace Line. If somebody's brand new to the to the Rockwell Relay, Moab to St. George, um, it's a cycling event that happens in a relay format, and it's a long distance endurance event. And so the total mileage that they will cover is 516 miles. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty of FatCyclist.com, Patrick Brady from RedKitePrayer.com. I'm Michael Hutton, your host. Uh, today we head into the garage like we love to do because uh, we love gear. We're all gearheads here. And the garage this week is in Park City, Utah. Uh, Patrick Brady was at the summer press camp, which is always a bounty of, of lovely product that gets rolled out and tested by the various journalists that are invited to this event. Patrick, you've started some posts on Red Kite Prayer about what you've seen at press camp. Um, looks like a lot of interesting new stuff from Scott. I saw Blue was there, which I didn't even know they still existed. Blue bikes. They're um, back. They're back. Okay, good. Uh, give us some of your highlights. What do you want to focus on? What did you see and ride at summer press camp at Park City. Oh man, there was so much good stuff. Uh, well, a quick mention on Blue. They've got a new uh, disc brake adventure bike called the Prosecco. Uh, it's a carbon fiber bike. Um, you know, like I said, discs, uh, clearance for 40 millimeter tires. Um, all that's well and good. Um, but, you know, they've got some work to do in terms of reestablishing themselves in the market and restoring faith. Um, they've got good people there. That's, you know, that's never really been an issue. Um, it's been a, a capitalization issue, and they seem to have that under control now. And uh, the upshot is they're being pretty aggressive to try to get uh, into bike shops and home with consumers. And so uh, the Prosecco in an Altegra DI2 uh, build um, again, hydraulic discs, only $26.99. This thing should kill. Um, right. uh, Apparel-wise, we saw some really incredible stuff from Giordana. Um, they've gotten very aggressive in terms of uh, new pieces um, and new ideas. And so people are going to see some things that are really going uh, head-to-head with some of Castelli's signature pieces like the GABA. Uh, really looking forward to wearing some of that stuff this fall uh, once it's called for. And then um, uh, Segoy, uh, the uh, British Columbia manufacturer of apparel that's part of uh, the uh, CSG group, they also uh, showed off some great new pieces. A lot of reflectivity, um, making sure that their stuff is super visible, um, not you know loads of black with no reflectivity, which I've gotten pretty fed up with. Um, there's a, a, a jersey and a jacket that they're doing that uh, use this uh, new glass bead technology that, you know, you hit it with a flash and um, you need to wait three or four minutes to let your retinas recover. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty, pretty impressive stuff. And they're using it in a lot of really interesting ways. Um, like I said, uh, Giordano's uh, doing that as well. Um, they're using some of that same technology, uh, saw it for the first time ever in arm warmers, knee warmers, and leg warmers from them. Uh, so that was a, uh, a neat application of that stuff. Yeah. Um, Bike-wise, I think, was really where where this particular press camp was. Um, there are years where you, know, you may get a few interesting bikes. 
this year, it was just all kinds of covered up with incredible bikes. Uh, Ridley really, uh, they had one of the more exciting bikes there uh, in terms of, you know, traditional road stuff. Uh, their aero road bike, the NOAA SL, has now been equipped with disc brakes so that as you're flying down a mountain pass, uh, you've got just that much better ability to control your bike. And uh, I got to ch- a chance to ride that, take it most of the way up Guardsman Pass, come flying down the other side. Um, talked with uh, Richard Wittenberg about that bike uh, a little bit. So I believe you got some recording there. Yeah, here's a discussion with Richard about uh, the new Ridley product that Patrick rode at Summer Press Camp in Park City. So I'm here with Richard Wittenberg, uh, head of Ridley USA, and I've just ridden the new NOAA SL disc uh, and had quite an impressive experience on it. Uh, Richard, what I want to find out from you is this looks like uh, the NOAA, NOAA SL that I've ridden before. I noticed the slotted fork here. Uh, how does this differ from what you've produced in the past? So, really, it is uh, the kissing cousin of the uh, of the NOAA SL caliper brake, and we tried to keep the same. We did, in fact, keep the same aerodynamic technologies of our F split fork, our F surface, and our um, F stays on this model. The main triangle of the bike is actually identical. They come out of the same mold, so there's no difference. But there is a significant difference in both the fork and the uh, the rear stays of the bike because we had to re-engineer them to take the torques that are associated with disc brakes as well as the mounting of through axles that we use both front and rear. So are, I mean, obviously the chain stays have to be built up. Are the seat stays built up as well? No, the seat stays stay pretty much unchanged, and I can't speak specifically, but, you know, there is a mounting point for the rear disc, so there has to be beefed up around the mounting points uh, to take the forces that, that are uh, built that. So the frame winds up being about 30 to 50 grams heavier uh, because of the engineering that we've had to do to handle the torque loads, um, but that's not really significant when you consider how much faster you go downhill with it. Right, right. And so I want to ask, I mean... I expect that this bike has been tested some by the team. Mm-hmm. Um, how are they doing with it? What's the feedback you're getting? Well, you know, the, the team, we had certain riders that we always know are a little bit more receptive to new technologies. And, uh, you know, look, when you make your living on a product and you know something's worked, you're not all that, you know, accepting of things that may or may not work. So there are people who really like to try new things to think they can get an edge and there are people are saying i'm just fine where i'm at the people that really accept the new technology quickly are raving about it um and the people that are more conservative are like okay well let me see what happens and then you know we'll we'll come in with it okay so i have to ask the uci (laughs) um how do you guys feel about their dithering with the testing of disc brakes in the peloton uh Thanks for asking the question, uh, because that really tees up. I can, you know, really go off on this one. Um, you know, I, I, I respect the UCI for the job they have to do, but I really wish they would apply the same level of diligence to motorcycles in Pelotons that they do to disc brakes in the Peloton. Um, mm. You know, okay, look, you know, we didn't even have, you know, really substantiated um, evidence of whether somebody was or was not cut by that, and yet disc brakes were immediately withdrawn. And we knew for a fact that a motorcycle killed somebody, and 
did any I, I don't know of any changes that happened because of that, do you? They're talking about changes. Yeah. <laughs> Talks cheap. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to talk about regarding this bike? You know, I, I think what we really have to talk about is, you know, the whole philosophy of why disc brakes are important. Um, and the reality is, is that they do stop a bike better. Now, do you want to argue whether we need to stop better or not? I don't know. We can keep it going and we can have the conversation about, do you need index shifting? Do you need electronic shifting? Do you need clipless pedals? The fact is, is that these technologies do make a better product and a safer product. Mm -hmm. And we would be remiss in not bringing them to the marketplace. Your, your, your braking force is increased 15% with a 160-millimeter rotor. Formula One spends millions and millions of dollars to improve the braking capacity of their cars because they know that stopping is as important to going fast as accelerating. And, you know, all it's going to take us to do is get one person to win a classic where they get up a hill, maybe even a little bit behind, but by the bottom of the hill, they've broken away, and people will finally figure out, aha, I've got it, <laughs> right? And when, yeah. you, when, when, you, when you look at Sagan's win for the World Championships last year, yeah. or it's still this year, isn't it? I mean, he broke away as much on the downhill as he did on the uphill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and everybody focuses about how wide is the bike because I have to get up the hill fast. Well, last time I checked, it's the guy at the finish line who's first that wins, not the guy who's the finish at the top of the hill, unless it's a hilltop finish. Right? Sure. Sure. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I look forward to getting more time on this. Um, you know, and so this was a, a great first step for me. All right. Great. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for your time. Again, that was Richard Wittenberg of Ridley USA talking with our Patrick Brady at Press Camp up at Park City, Utah. Pretty uh, a pretty impressive uh, bike, as always, from Ridley, Patrick. Uh, I, I take it you were impressed. And not only that, with Richard's take on, on braking, which is you got to stop fast to go fast, which I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a super bright guy, somebody I've known in the industry for a long time, and I've come to respect and appreciate his opinion, uh, you know, deeply. I mean, he is one of my first calls when I have a question about something. His experience really goes super deep. Uh, also, at uh, press camp, I got to ride the bike that uh, you and Fatty had expressed some um, uh, curiosity over, uh, the new 3T Exploro. The Aero Disc Brake Gravel Adventure Bike. Um, and uh, it's pretty freaking neat. Uh, I'm really, really impressed with the bike. Uh, got mm -hmm. to take it out uh, on some fire road stuff, uh, a little bit of single track, uh, as well as the road. Rode it with uh, two different wheel sets, uh, two different sets of tires. Um, uh, the uh, when I was doing some single track, I was on uh, some 27.5 by 2.1 tires. And so, I mean, a, you know, pretty much proper mountain bike at that point. And uh, the bike was just so impressive, handled so well. Um, and, you know, felt like a traditional road bike when I got out on the road and was uh, diving down through the switchbacks uh, back to our uh, resort. Um, mm -hmm. and I got to spend some time with a former coworker of mine, Dave Casel. Uh, Super Dave is now the product manager for 3T USA. And again, another 
guy who is on my list of first calls when I have questions about the industry. Um, he's been a product manager for a very long time. Super knowledgeable guy. Had a great conversation about the Exploro. I'm here with Dave Casel of 3T. And uh, yesterday I got to go out and ride uh, the new Exploro aero gravel bike. Uh, some people are finding that kind of a, a funny moniker, but this is a, a pretty stellar ride, you know, real aerodynamic advantage and uh, capacity for almost any tire you can dream up. Talk to me, Dave, about, you know, the real advantages that you see somebody uh, who's not necessarily even racing uh, gravel events. Well, Patrick, you've had the opportunity to ride it. And so that's really the best way to get on, uh, to, to, to get the impression of the product. Uh, and yes, it has aerodynamic benefit. Yes, it has uh, what uh, what the industry calls gravel capability. What I like to call uh, mixed surfaces, because you know to get to the dirt road, oftentimes you have to take the paved road. And so uh, this bike is going to have those performance attributes that you're going to be looking for, no matter what the surface you're riding on. Um, we do go the extra step uh, with the disc brake compatibility and 142 millimeter rear end and 15 millimeter through axle front end to have interchangeable wheel sizes. So we can run a 700 by 28 millimeter road wheel in here, and uh, you can enjoy a road ride and uh, and not have to leave anything behind as far as performance. Uh, the bike has road geometry, road manners, uh, road chainstay length. So every bit is uh, endurance road bike uh, is what you'll find in the market being introduced today. But we go the extra step of adding that uh, 650B Road Plus compatibility. So with the Road Plus options that are being introduced today, uh, for road specifically, and as well as just a regular 650B by 2.1 inch mountain bike tire, uh, you don't have to kind of switch models or switch bicycles uh, to enjoy uh, the local single track, the long fire roads that get you away from traffic. Uh, perhaps you're going to take one bike with you on vacation, as you and I are sort of enjoying here in Park City. Uh, gosh, we can ride through town. We can go ride Garsman's Path. We can do all of the fun things that uh, that you're going to want to do on a road ride, and yet we can enjoy the trails here in uh, in the Park City and Deer Valley uh, Resort. I was pretty amazed when I took this back out with the 27.5 by 2.1 tires. Uh, what were those, WTBs? Yeah, uh, WTB Nano. And, uh, you know, I, went, I ended up going down a fire road that I simply would not have tried on on any ordinary gravel bike. Uh, it got loose. It got interesting. Uh, I maintained control. So it was a pretty remarkable experience, not something I would ordinarily uh, pencil in for myself with drop bars. Um, now let's talk a, a little bit more about the aerodynamics. It's a huge down tube, and there are also mounts here for bento box. Um, how's it come? Well, we added the width to the down tube. We added this cross section because, quite frankly, we wanted to have some aerodynamic benefit with all of the width of the tires uh, that the bike is compatible with. Uh, so if you're optimizing a bike for a 25-millimeter tire, then you're going to have a narrower tube. Uh, we decided to optimize the bike uh, for tires up to 54 millimeters wide. So uh, to make a 50-millimeter down tube uh, in width uh, and, uh, and then add that cross section that makes sense, that sort of 3-to-1, 4-to-1 down tube cross sections that you can use, uh, we would get so much depth that the bike would sort of no longer make sense from a visual standpoint. It also would have so much side air, uh, side surface area. Uh, the weight would get out of control, and then crosswinds, you know, 150 millimeter deep would not be ideal. So we developed this truncated tube uh, that we call Squaro. And uh, the squared off edge on the backside has very minimal uh, detriment uh, to the aerodynamic profile. In fact, it gives us a place to put things like water bottles uh, and hide those from the wind effectively. Uh, but it also gives us the engineering shapes that we need for tremendous stiffness, low weight, 
Uh, so it achieves that goal as well. So square O was really the big benefit. You have this larger cross section up near the fork that helps keep the airflow linear, laminar uh, on the on the wider wheels. Uh, we have the larger cross section at the bottom near the bottom bracket where you help shroud that water bottle uh, or water bottles as the case may be. Uh, and then you mentioned the bento box. Well, it's not uncommon when you're going to go hit uh, roads that you've never ridden on or gravel paths or, uh, or even a little bit of single track to think you need to carry a Y tool or a folding multi-tool, maybe a CO2, a spare tube. You shove that into a seat bag and you put it on the back of your aerodynamic seat post and suddenly you've added you know, 5 or 10 grams of drag and uh, you've slowed the bike down. It's a performance bike and we want to give you every possible advantage uh, when there is an objective to get to the finish line first. And so by adding that, uh, that uh, additional mount on the top tube, you can use some of the aerodynamically designed and optimized storage uh, options like from X-Lab uh, or Dark Speedworks and many others. Apaduro uh, is making one that's a little higher capacity. And there's no aerodynamic detriment. In fact, putting a bag that's cleverly placed uh, on the top tube and uh, kind of uh, falls behind the aerodynamic uh, hole that the stem punches in the air uh, gives you an aerodynamic benefit. It can actually be faster with the storage bag on the bike in some conditions, depending on the shape of the bag and your stem stack height and so forth. But certainly not the certain negative that a seat bag gives you. So uh, no, with nothing overturned, you know, really, we, uh, we wanted to give you, uh, it wasn't just a bike, let's, let's say, let's add tire clearance. You know, let's look at the entire package and everything you might encounter uh, from your weekend road ride with your buddies all the way to your uh, exploring uh, sort of mindset you want to get off the road and see where that gravel road takes you that you've ridden by a hundred times and never dared ride down with your 25 millimeter tires on your road bike so yeah. here you've got a bike that gives you that opportunity thanks dave uh i'm really looking forward to doing an extended test on one of these uh i, I just can't wait this will be a, a grasshopper killer yeah thanks Again, Dave Kaser with 3T and our Patrick Brady at Summer Price Camp in Park City, Utah. Uh, Patrick, the bike, the Explorer, seems a lot like the bike from Open Cycles, which is, I guess, no mistake, since Vrooman, Gerard Vrooman, is involved, that is, in both projects. Yeah. uh, I mean, at a very high level, the bikes appear very similar. The angles, the purpose... Uh, the aerodynamics, those are all very different. And the open bike is not to be confused with the Exploro. It's a very different response to a very different goal. Um, and, you know, those who actually took both bikes out, you know, learned in a hurry that, yeah, they weren't the same. Um, you know, and, and uh, you're not going to put a flat bar on uh, the Exploro. And that's something some people have done uh, with the open. So, uh, definitely a different response. Mm. It's, uh, you know, it's a, a, a neat, uh, a neat opportunity to see how he thinks, you know, once you understand his connections between the different companies and seeing the creativity that continues to come out of that guy. Um, it's neat. I had a lot of fun talking with him as well. I recently wrote a post on RKP about titanium bikes and about riding uh, gravel, you know, oriented titanium bikes. And I, my experiment was to determine whether the titanium bike would remain more planted because my frustration with carbon bikes, stiff carbon bikes, has been that on gravel conditions, without the benefit of a fork, a suspension fork, or any suspension whatsoever, the bike just bounces all over the trail. How did the Explorer respond in the rougher conditions? Was it a planted machine? Well, you know, it's hard to say because I I didn't have a, uh, you know, a one-to-one comparison. Um but 
you know, I went, like I said, I went down some stuff that under other circumstances I probably would not have ridden, but it was one of those things where I needed to get back to the resort so that I could swap out for another bike. And, uh, the shortest route that I could figure out because they'd closed one of the trails that I planned to ride. Uh, and so, uh, Byron from Bike Hugger and I went tearing down this, uh, uh, this fire road. And, uh, you know, it was a bunch of, uh, big blocks of decomposed gravel. And, uh, you know, you know, some of it was probably the, uh, the tires I was on, you know, the inflation level, but I was in control. Uh, it was a little tenuous at times. It was steep, but it worked out just fine. Well, plenty of product uh, coming out of Summer Press Camp, and you can check out redkiteprayer.com for all of Patrick's findings. I noticed Scott, too, is expanding their line of uh, mountain bikes as well. So plenty to read and look at from Summer Press Camp. Patrick, thanks for the interviews. Thanks for the info. And we look forward to more of it on redkiteprayer.com. Coming up, guys, we check on a person who won the Tour de France, had that title strip, now has gone to the high country... And we mean that in the, what, best way possible, I suppose? We're going to check in with uh, what Floyd Landis is up to in Leadville, next on The Pace Line. Find the podcast on two wheels. Fatty at FatCyclist.com, Patrick Brady, RedKitePrayer.com, both with us. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Houghton. Floyd Landis, guys, is high on and maybe in Leadville, Colorado. Floyd is starting a new career producing high-quality cannabis products under the brand name Floyd's of Leadville. Colorado, of course, has legalized recreational marijuana use, did so in 2014, and the market, the pot market, has grown into a billion-dollar industry. Uh, Floyd's of Leadville will specialize in pesticide-free cannabis oil from high-altitude growers using an industry-leading pharmacy-grade CO2 extraction process. Early products uh, revealed on Twitter show two applications of the oil, oil, that is, a topical cream that can be absorbed through your skin, and pre-filled, pre-filled, that is, vapor cartridges. Uh, Floyd's of Leadville, uh, their mission is to market products as an alternative to opiate painkillers and other addictive prescription drugs. And according to the Floyd's of Leadville Twitter account, Landis is even offering, <laughs> he's offering a discount to USA Cycling members. 15% <laughs> off if you show your license. Floyd, <laughs> cannabis is on the banned list. It's considered a performance enhancer. You can't do it. <laughs> Fatty, we're going to Leadville I, this summer, buddy. Uh, you want to go by Floyd's? You know, I absolutely am going by Floyd's. I, I want to say a few things about this. First of all, if Floyd were investing or decided to come up to uh, create a craft beer, there would be no news about this at all. The fact is what he's doing is something that in, in many people's minds is less – problematic uh, from an addiction standpoint as well as from a health standpoint than any alcohol-related product. And 
yet just because you know th- we all tend to giggle ab- about the word pot it's a clever name it's a legal thing he's doing it is i think you know pretty fantastic to be honest and i love that it's something around leadville you know it's you know high country you know pot equal high it's i, I don't know I, there's nothing i don't love about this i'm going to be completely honest mm-hmm. patrick yeah if you were to go to Leadville, could we meet at the shop? Uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely want to drop by. I mean, I'm curious, you know, will Floyd actually be there on a daily basis, you know, greeting people and talking up cartridge flavor and whatever else you might talk up that way? Um, you know, and there's something – there's a business story here uh, from the standpoint of, you know – how he got started in this, uh, I know that uh, his last couple of years, uh, he's been, shall we say, kind of propped up by some people who are not so wild about Armstrong, guys who got burned in their dealings with both Lance and Livestrong. And uh, so they've there have been some guys who've been big supporters of his. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to find uh, just the, the – how the ha- the capitalization happened on this. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a larger business story here that I'm pretty curious about. But, uh, you know, hey, we we love second acts here uh, in America. Yeah, and that's uh, exactly it. You know, this is this could be a, a really neat redemption story. Yeah. I, I met Floyd a couple times, always liked the guy. This does seem a bit out of his reach. I mean, um, you know, if there was one guy in the whole doping scandal that I went, well, I kind of get it. He can be easily influenced. He doesn't carry a lot of wisdom or perspective around about life. So this, it seems like a calculated move, and I don't find him to be that type of person. Now, that said, Patrick, there might be a good backstory here, and and maybe he's been motivated to, to do so. And he probably needs to do something at this point. Why oh, not? certainly. Why not this? Hey, have you guys ever heard of squid bikes? Squid bikes. Yeah. Yeah, they're in Sacramento. They make cross bikes, cross bikes only, aluminum. And you can get, there's two types, cantier disc. Their website tells customers to pick a frame, pick a kit, and a little DeGruppo, and pick some spray paint. The frames are welded in California, 6,000 series aluminum. They're shipped to squid raw, no paint. That allows the customer to pick their own paint job, a cheap paint job, I should say, but their own paint job. Each bike is finished with Spray paint. Pretty cool. So it kind of gets us to our next topic of discussion here. The best color for a bike. And this came out of a a column by Robot on RKP, the Friday group ride, which we love. And Robot put the question out there. He said, look, he tried to once believe that the color of his bike didn't matter to be completely practical. And what and, and when he did so, when he kind of accepted that, what he got in the end was a, a white paint shop, a white bike. Which Dude, he he's got a tie bike that's painted gray, okay? Yeah, right. uh, his his <laughs> perspective on this is maybe not all that it should be. Right. So he asked, what what is the right color for a bike? Fatty, let's start with you. What's your favorite What's your favorite color? And then give me your least favorite color, too, for a bicycle. Ooh, the least favorite. That's going to throw me for a loop. Um, you know, I, I've always been a firm believer in the color red, uh, and I like that there, that I can say my favorite color is red and still have a huge range of different colors available. 
but um, I know it's cliche, but love red. Least favorite color? <sighs> Yellow. Um, it, <laughs> I, 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 it, it's it's more of a problem with the arrogance of the color yellow. I can't, I can't ride on a yellow bike or wear a yellow Jersey just because it's making assertions that I can't possibly back up with my leg. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. Patrick, you're, Patrick, you're running around on two very beautiful steel bikes right now, the Danucci and you have the Bishop and both have lovely paint jobs. Are those, if somebody were to see those bikes, would those be your your colors? Well, I mean, the neither of those bikes, you know, is a is a color per se. They are both mostly white, but you wouldn't call them white bikes. There's a lot going on on both of them. Um, you know, if I'm gonna pick uh, just a a color, if I'm gonna have a, a one color bike, my go to is orange. Um, and I, I can't really explain it, but I love me some orange. And mm. uh, when I was picking out colors for a tandem uh, last fall, I had more trouble picking out that color than I have anything else in my life because a tandem is a big thing. That's a whole lot of a color. And uh, we ended up doing some teal panels on it. Um, I couldn't quite go, go with a whole teal tandem. Um, thought about a fade. Uh, thought about some other colors, thought about red, um, and ended up uh, with this uh, slightly stylized paint job, but I went with orange, and that was in part backed up by Mini Shred. When he looked at the color palette, he thought the orange was pretty cool too. Mm -hmm. This is um, a pretty easy one for me. Just paint it. <laughs> I, I am personally grown tired of the stealth look, the flat black look. This is a this is a bicycle we see everywhere. It makes it very difficult. And I don't understand why manufacturers even offer this color uh, other than consumer demand. Because I was uh, on a group ride just uh, Sunday, and there were three flat black bikes in the ride, and I could not tell one from the other. I was getting up close to them trying to determine, what, what bike is that? What Turned out one was uh, the big S, uh, I believe there was a Pinarello in the bunch. I can't. I can't remember what the third was. All three were this flat black with no logo. You could hardly pick up the logoing. I say, just please, just just get out some paint and paint your bikes. Bike companies, we like paint. I love what always love what what Landshark has done with paint jobs. Yeah, beautiful stuff. So I just say, just paint it. Just show me some creativity. Show me some stuff. That said, do I own some flat black bikes? Absolutely. Why? Because when I was picking out one of my last bikes, I asked the, the retailer in question. I said he had plenty of color options to choose from, silver, candy apple red, and, of course, flat black. And I said, which one will sell, resell the best? He said, the flat black one will. That's the one you're going to sell if you need to sell it. I went, okay, give me the flat black one. So You, got, I just say, you bought a bike with the thought of getting rid of the bike? I there's I there have, is something this wrong is my, with you. This is my personal advice to people about bicycles. Do not get emotionally attached. I don't. Oh, I don't I, get emotionally attached. They're all just they're all potential Craigslist honorees. I agree. This is like the but, I agree, but you is. are going to be riding it for X number of years. Bu yeah, I, buy I, it to I, enjoy I it, not exit. to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. By the it way, it's not a permanent resident in my there, garage. There's a there is a hard reason, you know. There's an actual rationale behind all those flat black bikes. Um, 
if you want to try to have a frame weight that drops below 800 grams, one of the first things you have to do is really go easy on the paint or have no paint at all. And so mm-hmm. uh, anytime someone uh, screws up, uh, you know, gets a wrinkle in that unidirectional uh, carbon layer that's on top, uh, they know they end up have, they're going to have to paint it. And the least amount of paint you can apply to a bike is going with a, a single coat of flat black over uh, the unidirectional carbon. So yeah. that's the thing. Get out the, get out the paint, please. I like it. Says I the like man the, without uh, any know, paint on his statement. bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and an extra 200 grams. Oh, I can live with it. Just, just saying. Hey. All right. Well, guys, there's nothing like a, a good bike video to end a show, especially when a bear has a starring role. Have you guys seen this one? David Souza was shredding his favorite trail near Truckee in Lake Tahoe. He had his GoPro rolling when a bear darted across the trail. Wait for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a bear. Yeah, that was a bear. <laughs> that was right. It was a bear. Uh, in the video, viewers can see a flash of a black bear as it darts in front of Susan's bike. There's also a glimpse of the bear as it runs away after the crash. So kind of a hit and run. It was a bear hit and run. Yeah. Susan described... Hearing the bear wheeze or squeal when he struck it with his bike, similar to the sound someone having when the wind is knocked out of them. Uh, he said he, he wasn't seriously hurt. Susan wasn't. Doesn't know about the bear. bear but he goes did oof. receive some scrapes. Um, he said, this is Susan's. I really hope I didn't hurt the bear. My girlfriend was more concerned about the bear than, than me in the end. And of course, after he posted this thing, goes viral, logged more than 3,300 views. And Susan has added more than 200 followers to his uh, Instagram account. Due to his running with a bear, so watch out for those. Watch out for those bears crossing your path. They, they will take you out. <laughs> I'm going to bear country, folks. By the way, I'm going to Montana pretty soon, so and I'm gonna, I'm going to bear spray and bear bells uh, draped all over me. So <laughs> let's wrap this thing up. Let's let's wrap this up, guys. Uh, a quick check with our our players here. Fatty, very busy with the Rockwell relay write ups. What else, if anything, on Fat Cyclist and the Fatty Cast? You know, it is. All Rockwell Relay for probably at least two or three weeks. That I know that's crazy, but it's true. In real life, I am also getting ready for the crusher in the tusher and excited yes. about that. Okay, we'll milk that Rockwell for all it's worth, please, and uh, enjoying the write-ups and the pictures, too. Love the shots, too. Thank you. Uh, Patrick, press camp material still coming out of you, I would gather. Yeah, I've got another uh, two, three, four posts on that. And then I also, uh, even though we didn't discuss it here, uh, my post about the King Ridge Supreme, uh, which mm-hmm. I did this past weekend and had uh, a combination of uh, pleasant torture and delightful uh, euphoria. Yep. Shout out to Miguel Crawford, who just wrapped up his 18th season of the Grasshopper Adventure Series, and he tends to uh, end it with the hardest event, the King Ridge Supreme, something like 90 miles and 9,000 feet of climbing. It's a pretty silly event, in fact. So, All right. Uh, the pace line can be found on the pages of redkiteprayer.com. That's where you will find show notes, links, and a place to comment on the show, or head to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Music to uh, download and subscribe. We ask that you continue to rate us on those services. It really helps out a lot if we uh, know people love the show. Um, and if you don't like the show, lie. 
and say you love it anyhow, because <laughs> we need to survive. All right. So for Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Houghton. Catch you next time on the Pace Line. Let's get you a hot pink top too. Yes. Neon yellow bottom. Okay. And green. We gotta have the green in there. Yeah. So yeah. Green, pink, yellow. Boom. Yeah, that's good. And then we'll just we'll go over it with the these other colors. All right. Game on.